New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today, Mahendra Ramsinghani, has invested in over 50 pre-seed and seed stage companies. He is the founder of Secure Octane, a cybersecurity seed fund based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Formerly as Director of Venture Capital Initiatives for Michigan Economic Development Corporation, he led the legislation for two fund-of-fund programs in Michigan. He's the author of two books, The Business of Venture Capital and The Resilient Founder, and the co-author of Startup Boards with Brad Feld and Matt Blumberg. Today, we'll be discussing The Resilient Founder and some of the practices and rituals that entrepreneurs can use to build resilience. Thank you so much for joining us today. Delighted to be here. In the U.S., the maverick entrepreneur is part of our cultural DNA. Starting with the Protestant founders of our country, business success was linked with moral virtue. If people are storytellers and myth makers, then the prototypical hero in the U.S. was the entrepreneur. People come here to build dreams, mavericks, visionaries with enough grit and pluck, determination. The world can be reimagined and made better. And of course, the rewards are great for those who do. And as time has gone on, each era puts their own spin on the entrepreneurial mythology. Work hardcore, crush it. Only the strong succeed. If you need aphorisms to motivate you, you aren't cut from the right cloth, which is why your book about the resilient founder is such a badly needed counterpoint and a light for all entrepreneurs who feel alone if they find themselves facing darkness and doubt. And you don't pull your punches. You start your book with the story of a suicide. Why did you decide to start there? You know, Gabriela, this was a very difficult time for me as an investor when one of the founders that I'd invested in committed suicide. Mm. And as investors, we take immense pride in portraying ourselves as, you know, I will be your first call whenever you are in a crisis. I will be your last call before you go to bed if you have any challenge, anything that keeps you up at night. As investors, we have kind of mythologized this role that we play. And when this happened, uh, one of the founders that I'd invested in passed away, it was a very rude shock to Mm. me. And so that led me to ask a very fundamental question that obviously this founder was struggling Mm. for quite a while. And I was so blind that I never saw what was going on. What was it about this dynamic that we forgot the basic humanness of mm. what we're trying to do. And so that was the genesis of this book. Right. Well, and it's so it's so honest. And there are some really marvelous touches in the book the, from the table of discontents, which I, I adored, the poems and the tweets. Who did you talk to in putting together the book? So first of all, I have to give immense credit and a word of gratitude to Brad Feld, who's an investor. And he was one of the first venture capitalists to publicly start blogging about his depression. Mm. And Brad and I had co-authored another book called Startup Boards. And as I read about this, part of me was like, Brad is crazy. He should not be doing this. This is going to affect his business. It's going to affect affect the investors that invest in his fund. It's going to affect the founders that he attracts. 
And believe it or not, it was completely the opposite. It was like everybody was hiding their sufferings and Brad sort of opened the door to saying, hey, I'm human. Are you? Right. Well, you know, they often talk about marketing and being authentic, and it sounds like a real honest moment. Yes. And that was a starting point. That gave me the courage, Gabriela, to start this project. And I ended up talking to over 100 founders. Most of them chose to be anonymous because they themselves were probably struggling with the same questions, like, mm. am I going to be looked upon as a weak person? You know, this entrepreneur mythos that exists about, I'm like the Atlas carrying this globe on my shoulders, right? Right. I'll suddenly be looked upon as a weakling if I talk about depression or stress or so on. So I, I made it easier for a lot of these individuals to say, look, I have a Google form. You can fill it up. If you feel like talking to me, you can give me a number. I will not ask you your name. I will not ask anything personal. But all I want to hear is how are you navigating your day? And that becomes a light for somebody else to make their journey easier. And that was the sole objective of this book. Interesting. So would you say that darkness, depression, doubt. Is this an outlying emotion, a bug, or would you say it's a feature? It's a component that if you are embarking on this entrepreneurial journey, you're going to have your moments. And that's just part of it. Is that it? What would you say? I think 90% of us humans are bound to go through these challenges in life, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. Uh, you know, there are different phases of life that we go through where we start to question uh, who we are, what is the role? We start to have these, you know, midlife crisis, if you will, or late mm. life crisis, early life crisis. Always... <laughs> life crisis. <laughs> Just... There you go. Thank you. So it's always going to be a time in your life when, you know, you wonder, what, what is it that I'm doing? You know, and right. especially for entrepreneurs, it's heightened because, you know, they're in the spotlight. You know, they mm. have employees, they have investors, they have media, they have competition. Think of this as an analog of a Hollywood persona. Constantly the spotlight, but then constantly living a life that is filled with fear beneath the surface. Well, right, because you're it's a very lonely place to be. If everyone is either an investor, a vendor, a subordinate, that's a very lonely place. And and so if entrepreneurs or anybody, to your point, find themselves in these places, they're not failures for finding themselves there. They're not alone in that experience. And a large chunk of your book explores our psychology. And you suggest that like IQ and EQ, we need a psych Q or a psychological quotient <laughs> when we're thinking of skill sets for successful entrepreneurship. Why is that and what is it? You know, when I was thinking about all the qualities and all the training that the entrepreneur has about, you know, here's 10 steps to raising your speed round. Here are five hacks to tackle your go-to-market. A lot of that exists out there, right? Those right. books and, and blogs have, have made the entrepreneur's life easy by offering examples, offering ideas. What I found as a very fundamental challenge was that as human beings, there are so many complexities within our own lives that we don't even understand all of it. Mm. But if there was a starting point that said, okay, foundationally, we are this crazy mix of emotions and desires and ambition and ego, and what does all of this mean? And how do I understand all of this? So my attempt, it's actually a very, you know, weak attempt, if I may use that term to say, 
look, let's let's try to at least understand these two or three blocks. I don't know if I'll get there in terms of explaining everything to you, but at least let's start by recognizing that here are the two or three building blocks and you might be able to play with it in different ways. Right. You dive into the components, but I'm going to jump ahead so that we can cover actually some of the rituals that your interviewees found successful so we can share them with listeners and they can start to think about adding them to their own tool set. So note to listeners that, that the what the component parts are, it's in the book, but now we've jumped ahead and we're talking about things you can do. And and first, and it really feels counterintuitive in our 24-7 culture, an organized diminution of work. What does that mean and what does it look like in practice? <laughs> you know, Gabriela, the, the myth that 24-7... Yeah, you know, hardcore. All-nighters, all you know, Red Bull, and God knows what other substances, you know, are being yeah. imbued. So... That side of, you know, media and practice of building startups, you know, unstoppable. No, I think that that is unhealthy. You know, you, you should not claim to be unstoppable and you should certainly not claim to be working 24-7 because the journey that you're on is like a marathon. And mm -hmm. if you pace yourself, then it becomes it becomes a joyous journey. You know, you can solve mm -hmm. problems, but also care about yourself. So when I think about the some of the founders that have been able to have an organized diminution of work, right. it is to say, I'm going to structure my efficiency and my day in a way which is not just slaving at a machine 24-7. It is going to be these bite sizes that are very effective. And then I'm going to go out for a run or a drink or a walk so that I can be productive. Right. So much is out of your control. Make sure you enjoy and appreciate the things you do control. Absolutely. Yeah. The second was get out of your own head. What does that mean? Is it making time for the gym? Is it getting sleep? What is What does that mean? I learned about this expression when I was talking to a philosopher who you know, has studied ways we spend our day and subconsciously how we gravitate towards solving problems as founders. Okay, most mm. of the founders will be thinking about code, thinking about problem A, problem B. So your cranium, your brain is constantly processing all this information, trying to make decisions. There is cortisol, there is stress, there is speed, all of these things. Okay, mm. so you're in a fundamentally kind of fight mode most of the time. That sounds like an now, anxiety loop. It just seems a little stressful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a 24-7. And that starts to then play into sleep, food, mm. all of these fundamentals that, you know, our mom starters, like hey, sleep well, eat well, mm. and exercise well. I mean, easier said than done. But right. this person shared with me that because certain professions use more of your body and less of your head. Take an example of a carpenter okay, mm -hmm. or a massage therapist. You know, massage therapists, yes, they use their cranium, but maybe they use their hands a lot more, right? Mm -hmm. the, and when you start to think about these professions, a painter, you yourself do painting, right? Right, you're, right. You're not spending like extraordinary amount of time debating between violet color of one kind and uh, the peacock blue of another kind. You're saying, right. oh, this, this feels good. This looks good. Let me go with this, right? So... The push, and so I found several founders themselves speak up to this to say they started to pick up a musical instrument. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds very cliched, but the musical instrument is actually taking them away 
from that cranium and all of that processing that their brain is doing all the time to say, ah, oh, thank God, it's time for me to just enjoy some music. Right. Well, and to get into that flow space in a different way. And it's funny, as you were speaking, I was thinking about my kids and when they play video games and they turn into nightmares after it. <laughs> and I found that I started wondering if, you know, when they're playing sports, they come in and they're exhausted and there was some sort of link of physical exertion linked to executive function planning. And when they're playing, let's say by playing real soccer versus FIFA, <laughs> you know, the one they're actually the, the physical exertion matches the intellectual exertion, whereas the other, it just gets bundled up. And so they punch one another, which is just so much fun as a mom. But it's interesting, this this getting out of your head. And it, it seems related. Another one was feeling, not thinking. So how is that different from getting out of your head? Now, one is more proactive and one is reactive. So okay. if you think about getting out of head, it's proactively saying, I'm going to do things where I'm going to give my brain a break. Okay. I'm going to tell my... CPU, my central processing unit of my computer, <laughs> to say, all right, let's take, the, it's, let's take some time off. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to indulge in a work of art, creating a work of art, not appreciating a work of art. Okay. Right. I'm going to create, so I'm going to do, I'm going to dig my fingernails into soil and do some gardening. Okay. Right. So those are, that's more proactive. Now, getting into a feeling mode, now, not all of us, Gabriela, are going to be as gifted as you are when it comes to painting, right? <laughs> well, keep, keep the compliments flowing. Yes, continue. <laughs> and not all of us will be bold enough to pick up a palette and dabble with colors or be proactive. Sometimes we just want to lie down and like close your eyes and say, I'm more in a receptive mode. Okay, so how does that play out? I kid you not, most of the founders, when I ask them, how do you enjoy a downtime? Oh, I go for a brisk walk listening to a podcast by this founder. I'm like, okay, that doesn't count you know, because no, because it's still you're still grinding away, right? Exactly, exactly. And worse, now you're getting more ideas from your podcast that's going to keep driving you to become more, you know, I don't know, ambitious or crazy or whatever be the be the thing, right? So the the feeling part is put yourself in situations where you are experiencing the joy of being a human. And mm. Jerry Colonna, you know, who has authored a book in this called Reboot. I mean, but he was also a great inspiration and a guide as I was writing this book. Continues to be till, till today. He's, what is it that you're feeling if you don't make time for it? How will you even know what those feelings are? You have to just mm. pause. You have to do nothing and then pay attention to what's going on in your body. Now, this, again, sounds somewhat cliched and all of this like Eastern meditation, mythology kind of stuff. But look, we're not just brains. We are hearts. We are emotions. We are so many different things inside this one, mm -hmm. you know, body. And so you have to make room for these other other things that can arise and pay attention to welcoming them and respecting them. This flows nicely into another one, which is spirit over mind. And yours is actually the second business book that I've read that brings spirituality into the business conversation and not in a woo-woo kind of way. A lot of people instantly reject the idea because they feel that spirit is anathema to reason and reason is the soul of success. So what, when you think in the context of, of your resilience and in the context of that, how does spirit function? And what does it look like? That's a great question, Gabriela. And 
I know we don't have enough time to touch on all the aspects of of this particular part of the the topic, but the simple way I try to abstract and put spirit into an engineer's mind, which is very logical, it's very precise. You have to be able to measure it, see it, touch it, and if if you can't do that, it doesn't exist, right? Right. Is to say there is has to be a sense of wonder. It has to come from this humility that we don't understand. We don't even understand our own body, let alone this cosmos, let alone migration to Mars, let alone all the different things that we claim. We don't understand. I mean, look at what happened during the pandemic. Mm. This little 120 nanometer particle was able to bring the whole world to a standstill, literally to a standstill. You know, if somebody would have told me 10 years ago, there is going to be this little particle and the whole world will come to a standstill, my logical brain would have said, yeah, right. You know, we are invincible and we can get past any of this. But what happened? <laughs> you were not you know? hanging out with preppers. <laughs> <laughs> They've been saying it for a long time. But anyway, I'm sorry to cut you off. <laughs> no, no I, I need to actually spend some time with preppers because, you know, I need to appreciate how they see the world. Now, clearly, when you think about the sense of wonder or the sense of humility, you try to say, I have limitations. Oh. And and then you also try to say there is something else out there. There's something bigger than me out there. And to me, that's the simple definition of spirituality is that my ego is modulated enough to say, I don't know everything. Well, it's interesting if we go back to where you started and about the founders who wanted to remain anonymous because part of the mythology of, you know, give me your money because I have all the answers. <laughs> that's, it's being able to... It's a paradox. You've got to be able to hold both things, right? You have to be able to present this, but be comfortable, at least inside yourself, that you don't have all the answers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the the, the faster we accept that, the better human beings we become. You know, suddenly I'm not posturing with you, Gabriella, as Mr. Know-it-all. Here, I have all the answers. I'm the modern day chat GPT. You can pump mm -hmm. in a question. I'll give you an answer. No, no, no. I'm a human being. I'm here to learn from you as much as you're here to, you know, spend time with me. And how can we enrich each other's lives in a in a better way for a better tomorrow? Right. You know, and, and lastly, you share the prescription of making a promise to yourself. So what does that mean? So this was a concept that I saw happen when as investors, we would have this handshake agreement with the founder to say, okay, so we're all in agreement of this master plan that you know, $10 million is going into the company. And within the next two years, we will achieve this much in sales, this much in customer growth, blah, blah, blah. Okay, mm -hmm. So we, we made a promise to each other what the economic and commercial momentum is going to be. Okay, mm -hmm. I never made a promise to that individual who committed suicide to say, I am here with you if you feel that this journey is becoming exhausting for you, or if you feel like you're no longer able to proceed, you should be able to comfortably have a conversation where we can then say your well-being is important. At the same time, the company's well-being is equally important because there are employees and payroll and mm. cash flow and blah, blah, blah. And how can we manage to keep you as a human being safe and secure while protecting the company. My promise right now is only to the company. And how dare I do that, Gabriella, at the cost of somebody's well-being? Right. Although if we're having 
you know, that's somewhat linked to the whole system we have at the moment, which is really shareholder primacy, right? So, (laughs) I mean, it's, I see where you get there and I respect it for sure, but how have you ever had somebody come to you since publishing and, and communicating this and being open? Has anybody come and said, I'm struggling? No, Gabriela, that day has not quite, uh, you know, arrived in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's another tidbit that you'll enjoy hearing. So three books that I've authored. The first one is about how to be a venture capitalist and how to make money and succeed as an investor. Okay. Mm-hmm. That book has been the best selling book of the three. Okay. How to get rich in five easy steps. Right? Okay. The second book was about how to balance a relationship where the force of capitalism can pull the founder away from something that they truly believe in. How do you balance this on the board? Right. Okay. So that book has you know, thanks to my co-authors, have sold reasonably well. This book has been the worst selling of all three. Something <laughs> that's baffling to me because this is about being a better human being. And even my publisher was like, Mandra, this book is not really doing very well. What can we do to market it? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, my job is done. I've <laughs> That's on you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we're still, you know, trying to crack the code on why certain books, obviously it speaks to society and how people want to, pursue ambition. But, you know, this is a book which doesn't sort of go straight into get rich quick in five steps. It it deals with a lot of difficult challenges. And I don't know if people even enjoy going into that dark side of, of the reality that we all have to endure. You know, so it's it's been a little bit of a mystery. But one founder actually who read the book called me last week and said, Mahindra, this book is ahead of its time. And Maybe it'll get this appreciation after you're dead. I'm like, gee, thanks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I'm completely fine with that notion. I have no attachment to instant gratification. As long as it helps somebody, my job is done. <laughs> well, it's interesting in my coaching practice, sometimes I have to tell people we're going to have uncomfortable conversations. We're going to go to uncomfortable places where you, if we're going to change, you know? And that isn't something that people are necessarily great with, you know, is is when they have to deal with it themselves. And certainly if they're putting a lot of energy into image management and everything's great at the shop, you know, <laughs> that it makes it really hard to to even open up the space to consider these things. And what's interesting is if you open up the space, if you do this, you will be more resilient and better, but you have to, it's, it's a, it's a leap. You've got to make a leap. Now you have had a spectacular career. What promises have you made to yourself? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> this is one of those stumped kind of a question. <laughs> Uh, well, to to uh, uh, to phrase it differently, you know, my career is a function of the people around me, the society around me. I believe that America is kind of truly, you know, I, I grew up in India, which mm. is a very different culture. Then I worked in Singapore, which was a very different culture compared to India. And then having lived in uh, the U.S. for two decades now, I feel, I truly feel like this is a very welcoming, open culture. So I attribute whatever success I've had to, you know, 
everything around me like if i was the seed the soil around me the sunshine around me the air around me has helped me to you know bring some of my gifts to bear now what promise have i made to myself it was only after this founder's passing that i had literally one year of like utter darkness i mean i had to pull back from everything i was not going out for this was pre pandemic so mm-hmm. i decided not to go out for any of these meetings and conversations and literally my wife was so worried that there's something wrong with me and i said yes i'm going through a rebirthing process you know i just need to be with myself till i figure out what what is it that i want to become and not let what capitalism can make me become Capitalism will take me a money-making machine, and I'll be multiplying green bits of paper all my life while people are dying around me. No, 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 no. I don't want let that let that happen to me. And so, my promise to myself, and trust me, Gabriel, it's a journey. I have barely accomplished ten percent of my promise, is to be present to the people around me and try to be as supportive as I can, and at the same time, ask for help. You know, as VCs, as investors. we feel like we can only give help we never ask for help so i'm learning to be a better human if i can say that <laughs> oh that's great well you know you've shared a very important set of ideas and the book deals with hard things but universal as well and so thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it with me today i really appreciate it Thank you Gabriela. I had so much fun. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Not and the voicers who recorded our open and of course all of you the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.